right. Welcome back to the Spinner Rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast. We're your host, Stephen, with Spitfire and the Troubleshooters number four. And and Andy covering Starbrand number four. The New Universe was a self-contained universe and imprint from Marvel Comics started by Jim Shooter in 1986 with the launch of eight new ongoing titles to celebrate Marvel's 25th anniversary of superhero continuity. It was intended to be more realistic without magic, aliens, or secret histories. We're two chemists and comic readers who are reading through the New Universe two books a week in the order they were released describing them and commenting as we go. We'll also give the advertising copy from Marvel Checklist and or Marvel Age Magazine when available. And back in 1986, this was all the previews that were available. All right. Yeah, so I was thinking since we're at a new month and we're starting the issue fours, uh, it'd be interesting to talk about the new universe as, um, you know, again, a place where there are no superheroes, right? There are superpowers but no superheroes and that really kind of works across every every story right all eight comics there's no no superheroes per se yeah with um i guess the mandate to increase realism um it sort of puts the the comics into a certain number of limited genres that are all set in contemporary society and with people that were characters that would be more relatable to what we see around us. And I don't know if it's um, sort of a sense of the the less black and white world and the more gray morality we have after, I don't know, the seventies, the sixties. But but in the eighties, you would probably have more morally ambiguous characters and, movies and TV shows, although a certain sense of heroism is always, you know, popular and appreciated. But uh, it's interesting that, yeah, you have more of a characters that aren't, you know, just the the pure white detective who solves the mystery. It's more like, I don't know, James Bond is like, there's a lot of action and he does things, but is he quote unquote, a hero. He doesn't, you know, always just, you know, dash in to save people. He's like doing things because his government told him to, or he's got a particular mission to accomplish against a enemy government, things like that. Yeah, probably the closest, I mean, if you look at him in face value, the closest to a traditional superhero would, it would look like Kicker's Inc. probably, right? Because they kind of look like a superhero team and they have like first issue, uh, you know, they've got all these splash pages and the art and the covers have them all in these like uniforms basically. Um, But, (laughs) you know, so like the, the one leader with superpowers is mostly keeping them a secret um and the team doesn't really wear their outfits and although they're super public uh you know they also tend to run away at the end and like not (laughs) not let's not get involved don't let the police see us here we can't answer any questions yeah and then there was yeah the last uh issue they they purposefully like 
try to give it to someone else who will take care of uh, writing the moral injustice for the for the month. Yeah, AKA uh, turn the guy into the mob because you don't know what to do with him. <laughs> with the poor chemist. Yeah, well, we'll justice is probably the next closest, right? So he looks like a superhero, right? But he's really just kind of not from this world, though. So again, you know, he has his own sort of personal mission, not and although his job is, you know, justice, right? Basically judge, jury, executioner for anyone who's sort of evil or has this wrong aura. Um, yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's not out there clean, cleansing the city. He's just kind of tracking down a, you know, a mysterious villain from his past and while he's trying to learn about it and also running afoul of the police and the Justice Department, right? So I think that's a good theme for almost all of these books is they're all having trouble with the police, which you yeah, probably would. Yeah, interesting um, that they're all fugitives or wanted or completely hidden or whatever. No one's like popular. There's no Captain America or Fantastic Four where they're like publicly applauded for doing anything. I don't know. It's very early days after the white event and this sort of um, possibility of uh, superpowers isn't in any way sort of um, sunk into the general public's um, awareness. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's it as as time progresses, you can imagine a couple of um, teams or heroes sort of being born as they they have a very public um, you know fight or something, and and people either condemn them or applaud them depending on the situation. So it, uh, it it's one of those things that could have developed as as the universe developed. Um, you go from complete unawareness to, you know, oh, that's just a conspiracy theory, or oh, I saw this, you know, the video was faked or something until, yeah. yay, we love you, Cap, you know, Mr. Magnificent, you're the best. <laughs> yeah, I wonder, would we consider uh, Jenny and Spitfire and the Max suit to be like superheroes, right? Is it, maybe that's kind of like the Batman question, though. Like he's not, he has no powers. You know, I Iron, keep Iron thinking Man. that they would be accepted, sort of, if they had like, you know, in in the Star Brand uh, crossover, they like, you know, take a kid out of a well or something. If she'd just been like, "Hey, I'm Jenny Swenson. Come to the toot," you know, um, <laughs> register for my classes. Yeah, it'll be like, wow. I mean, think you know, little things like that you could do and probably. Um, yeah. But I think we're seeing from today's issue, they, they, they decide to go in a different direction. Right. And and that, some problems happen from there, but we won't spoil it just yet. No spoilers yet. Um, I don't know. I think there's a bit of a Marvel template for, for things that... You know, even if the hero isn't terribly acting heroic, that you dump a lot of problems on them and you sort of keep them always, you know, uh, like Spider-Man was always, you know, getting hunted by J. Jonah Jameson. And um, I think 
police weren't that thrilled with him and, and such. And so, yeah, we're, we're, we'll see some of the characters start having opportunities to act super heroic. It'll be interesting when we get there, I think. Yeah, we're not there yet. All right, so star brand number four. So our basics, right? So Ken Connell is given a power called the star brand by a mysterious visitor from space who tells him to guard it well. Uh, that'll be important today. Uh, driven by his conscience, Connell struggles to find the most just and appropriate use for the brand's unlimited power. And yeah, that's really what this book's been about. So uh, star brand number four, uh, the cover scene is Ken dressed in regular gear, uh, blocking slash getting nailed with a giant log, um, being swung by what looks like a pretty average looking guy uh, with another two in the background, uh, making some kind of crazy hand action poses as, as if they've got uh, something going on there as well. Uh, but we'll meet them uh, towards the end of the episode. Um, and hey, this one's only got one title. Open up the page, The Fight. So the Fight. That, that's, a, that's, that's what we're getting the hint at on the cover here. Um, I, really, I really like this opening splash page. So we got Jim Shooter writing again, uh, The Return of John Romita Jr., uh, Al Williams and on inks. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's nice to have uh, Romita Jr. back, who's still 2022 uh, doing Spider-Man comics. But uh, yeah, so the opening is Ken sitting on his easy chair with a beer and a Long Beach shirt, uh, kind of whistling, and Myron behind him brandishing an axe <laughs> as if he's going to uh, lop his head off. I, li I like that the fight is the label right there as if the fight is going to be Myron versus Ken. Um, <laughs> By the end the of issue. this issue, I wouldn't mind if Myron got punched. <laughs> I think that might be Iron City beer that, that uh, Ken is drinking there, which is the Pittsburgh uh, local. Oh, nice. It's a little turned to the side, so. Yeah. I would not recognize the logo. <laughs> All right, so turn to page two and <laughs> thunk. <laughs> Basically, uh, you know, Myron drives the axe into the back of Ken's head, doing nothing more than breaking the axe. Uh, of course, Myron's disappointed. It's a dollar fifty at the flea market, and look at it now, ruined. You you owe me an axe, Ken. <laughs> Myron is a cheap <laughs> cheap bastard. <laughs> Uh, he says, Myron, I told you a while back a nuke went off in my hands and it didn't hurt me. Don't you believe me? <laughs> so yeah, Axe is not going to cause him any problems. Um, so Myron's line here is good, though. What's that? Myron's line here is good, though. Yeah. This whole thing is so impossible that even, even seeing isn't believing. He says as he lights up a blowtorch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so can so basically he starts torching Ken's arm. This doesn't hurt either. Can you feel it? And it's like I can feel it's hot, but it doesn't bother me. Um, and a woman starts walking in from, from the back carrying some grocery bags. Uh, oh my god! Because 
you know, Myron has lit Ken's arm on fire, which of course doesn't <laughs> bother him at all. He's totally just relaxing, unfazed, but uh, panics when he realizes someone, uh, Kathy, had walked in. Um, so he pats out the flame, you know, tries to convince her that he didn't get burned because he got it put out so fast. Um, not particularly, um, oh yeah, just you know, trying to explain it as if he was just trying to get the torch to work right which is a little flimsy. Um, but yeah, so Kathy is apparently a roommate who's, or a renter of Myron's who's maybe paying him in groceries. It's a little strange, but. I, I it, big question mark on what Kathy is because uh, yeah, there, there's a very ambiguous relationship of this woman who came in Yeah, Kathy is has stopped by with groceries, and um, they let's see. Myron then like sets her cleaning up, and yeah. uh, he tells her um, that yeah, she's uh, she's working off his her room and board and therapy. But I still, with Myron being kind of a weirdo, I can also imagine that he's. Uh, actually got a relationship with her too i don't know yeah it's... <laughs> as drawn she's i think young and attractive right though ken didn't mention anything about her oh that's distracted about the, by the flames otherwise we would have gotten the uh the body report <laughs> boy i i mean it's such a weird relationship between Myron and Ken in the first place that I, 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 you know, it's like, it's personal, but then it's money, but then it's personal, but then it's money. Yeah. So I don't know. I can imagine him sleeping with a patient and still charging her rent is basically how I imagine. <laughs> yeah. That sounds about right. <laughs> he's, he's an odd man. That's for sure. Um, so, so we enter recap here, which ends up being kind of important, right? So, um, you know, from the original stories, you know, Ken was out uh, motorcycling, like dirt bike riding, where he ran into a strange old man. Uh, when he got his powers, uh, he was also kind of put out and maybe had to re remember back when he got them. So um, it's kind of an odd transfer of the power uh, that happened off screen for us. And, you know, Ken's memory was kind of trying to piece things back together. Uh, found a dead alien, which he assumed was the old man in its real form, uh, which then disappeared later. Uh, so he talks about how then, you know, so he revealed his powers to Myron, got attacked by an alien uh, in a super suit, which he had to then fight off uh, in the slag pit. He used his explosion powers um, to kind of chase it away with the slag dump. Um, he talks also about how um, uh, Barb's kid got maybe hypnotized by the alien as well and kind of held the la the alien's laser gun on him. That comes back into play later. Um, and then we get that, you know, there, so there's a final fight where Ken supposedly, uh, you know, beat up the alien, kind of took control of his powers. Um, the alien had, had said that the old man was tricking him and was not dead. And you know, you should really give me, aka the alien, the powers. So you know, it's 
calling the whole origin into question a little bit. Also, the fact that um, Myron never saw the alien fight Ken. So he says, are you sure about these things? Of course, why? And the mind can, betray, can play tricks, Ken, and yours has been tampered with. Don't forget. Look, I'd like to think about all of this. You should too. And we'll talk more. Let's make an appointment, okay? Tomorrow, 10 p.m., too late? Nope. <laughs> so, By the way, 10 p.m. is pretty late to have an appointment with the therapist. Well, he keeps weird hours. <laughs> yeah, 24 hours. So, yeah, then um, th this is, it's a good recap of the, the first issue, but it's sort of the way it's framed is a little bit more, makes you sort of question it more already. Yeah. I think it's a, it's interesting that they spent so much, you know, four or five pages on something. I mean, it's a significant amount of real estate in this comic to just go back over a, a, an origin. You just had a couple of issues ago Yeah. and then sort of call it all into question, but uh, it's still, it's an effective, I, I think, um, because yeah, you start, you know, at the time, I think we were, we were sort of pointing out a couple of things he did um, seems strange, like where he just buries the alien body and things. Yeah. And now he's kind of saying, yeah, I don't know why I did that, but I, you know, buried his body under a cliff and then I somehow knew later to go back and blah, blah, blah. Right. So yeah, he's, he's the, the doubts are beginning to form in, in his mind, so of what's as, really going on as a reader it makes me wonder a little bit is was all of this part of the plan or is this a little bit of like going back and kind of reshuffling the origin for the sake of you know telling a new story like i'm not really sure um i mean there's probably no way to know other than asking but that's what it kind of makes me question is a little bit is like yeah yeah following the story it's interesting like all right well what is going on with this alien and the old man uh, then as a reader, I'm like, well, like, are they kind of reset, trying to reset this and say there was no alien? And Ken was just flying around the city, fighting something in his mind and causing all these explosions. Um, is that, yeah. Is that, yeah, was this the shooter's original story or were like their editorial meetings when they decided, yeah, we have, this is getting too, this isn't the direction and we should uh, re- revise this origin so it plays better with the other titles possible yeah so so ken flies back to the site where he fought the alien the second time and finds that it's surprisingly nice right there's not really any evidence of this combat that he had and that he remembered um again kind of pointing in the direction that maybe his memory is not so good and maybe the things we saw in the comic uh really didn't happen or the alien is an evil landscaping specialist and he covered his tracks really well. <laughs> yeah. Multiple options. Multiple. <laughs> but anyway, so shortly thereafter, um, Ken goes back to work at the auto shop. Um, then again, kind of questioning and frustrated with his life a little bit of, you know, you know he's fixing bumpers <laughs> and cleaning cars. Uh, one of his workmates comes back with some McDonald's uh, saying that the diner they usually get lunch got robbed, right? So the guy got clocked over the head by some thugs. Ken, Ken wishes he had been there. It's like, oh, nothing you could have done anyhow, Ken. 
what's this dummy McBreakfast? <laughs> the manager <laughs> does not like his McBreakfast. Um, yeah, again, Ken's frustrated. He's fixing cars. He's carrying bags of gravel. He's wasting his superpowers instead of you know helping people. Uh, although he's already kind of worked out and understood that that's not so easy, right? Uh, maybe he stops the robbery, but then maybe everybody finds out about his powers. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's another sort of con literary conceit that um, when Spider-Man or Batman go around the town, they'll find all the crime that's being committed right in front of them at some point or another. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good point, yeah. It's really, I mean, I, how many crimes have I witnessed in my life, right? Yeah. Exactly. Very few, I've, if any. I've got to admit, there's been a couple of things I've like missed, or you know, if I was over here, maybe, you know, there are a number of things where it's like if I was had just taken this other, you know, gone over here instead of over there, I could have done things to to help people in some pretty bad cases. So I don't know. Yeah, and in previous issues of this and other books, a lot of times they find. Ken's been finding his information from television, right? Which is honestly convenient and probably where you would, right? So, I mean, at this I point, mean, internet, but pre-internet. Yeah, I think you could buy like a, a police scanner at, from Radio Shack at this time, which would be at least a way to know if there's something big going on that maybe you could, you know, a hostage situation or something like that uh, thing on the ship in number two. Yeah, but she pretty much saved the day there. Well, oh, you're right. He is a hero. What were we talking? About? <laughs> Erase that first ten minutes. I don't know. Pittsburgh has a relatively low crime rate too, so uh, don't uh, don't think it's all uh, Doctor Doom this and uh, Namor the Submariner that. <laughs> It's landlocked, so probably not too much anymore. Oh, crap. Let's just swim up the river. All right, so cut to haircut. <laughs> uh, so Ken's broke. Uh, pay today from tomorrow, 20 bucks for this. You know, 20 yeah, bucks for that. So he's got no money. <laughs> he's meeting Duck and hoping that she's going to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> just, oh All right, so. Good yeah, his 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 budget is pretty tight. Yes. <laughs> what is, what's he gonna do though? Knock over a liquor store? <laughs> All right. So he's late to late to visit Duck. Late again. Oh, oh well, Duck won't mind. She never does. <laughs> so perhaps taking advantage of her kindness a little bit. Uh, so he's meeting Duck at the diner. Uh, he gives her a toy duck that maybe he flew all the way to Disney World to get, or maybe he's lying because he just came from the haircut. Um, anyway, she's uh, uber excited about it. Yeah, she 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 likes duck. Is I'm not sure. Yeah, if that's uh, just a thing she fixates on, and that's why they call her duck, or or what? It's uh, yeah, I don't know. And, Nickname has never been explained. So if she's, you know, one of these, all of the t-shirts have ducks on them and then got a bunch of duck pictures at home. I'm 
Yeah. I also want to point out this is just a, a regular Denny's. Yeah, I was just going to say they're at Denny's. <laughs> I love that there's real restaurants in this. It's a. Um, I don't think you can get away with that anymore. By the way, um, after Ken's uh, description of his budget, look at how large his apartment is at the end. <laughs> it is huge. You know, he's got a motorcycle parked in there. Yeah. It is uh, pretty nice. I mean, Myron's is huge too, but it also seems like he lives in a scrap dump. Um, but yeah, for, for as, as kind of goofy and, um, you know, kind of bimbo-y Duck is, and it's just more sort of childlike than bimbo, honestly, but, um, you know, she's super attractive, uh, well-dressed, you know, well put together. Um, we don't know what she does, if she has a job or any of these sorts of things. We don't know too much about her. Other than it's, uh, you know, she's really Ken's most obvious girlfriend at this point, even though Barb uh, uh, is still in the picture as far as things go. So they're, they're fooling around in Ken's house. Um, she's posing in her underpants on his motorcycle. Uh, he's taking some classic Polaroid pictures. Right? So good old Polaroid. Um, yeah, we'd gone from after dinner, they're goofing around and tickling to just sort of a blank panel with of like the trees outside and then <laughs> yeah some time later <laughs> they don't have a lot of clothes on neither are, are any longer wearing pants so you can connect the dots <laughs> uh, okay so, <laughs> vroom, yeah. vroom. hey what you doing <laughs> say bird seed duck <laughs> uh, but yeah he takes a picture but then we get a knock on the door and uh sitcom situation ken's other girlfriend barb is at the door uh duck takes it in stride she's like it's okay i'll leave it's okay <laughs> she just sneaks out the back she doesn't really seem to care other than she's worried that uh, ken's gonna get in trouble um and uh yeah she comes in and wants to talk right so she's kind of bothered that ken's been distant and acting kind of weird um you know we haven't seen too much of them they haven't been around together a whole lot. Uh, she also mentions that her daughter has been sort of acting strangely at school ever since the uh, incident with the gun, which, you know, again, he kind of ran off after that and never really explained himself. Um, she also mentions his star brand tattoo as like, you, know, you never even mentioned more. Where did you get this? It was so strange. Uh, it's like, oh, well, it's not a tattoo. It comes off with special soap. I'll get rid of it. Yeah, it's still been on his palm this whole time, I guess. Yeah, which isn't super obvious, but again, if you're close and holding hands, it's, it's easy to spot. Um, so I think this is the first time he transfers it then? I believe so. Yeah, because the old man said I could move it. How? Just press it down and place some other place and want to move it? And I guess the think system. Uh, so he kind of puts it on his chest under his shirt, uh, comes back into the room. Um, Barb's just kind of looking despondent for a minute. Uh, she's like, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm just lost in thought. I'm a little tired. I'm going to go home. Uh, she's going to kind of smiles and gives him a kiss goodnight. Uh, but then Ken notices that she was looking right at the stack of naughty Polaroids. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have never once seen a person take a Polaroid <laughs> without it showing up five minutes later as like, evidence uh, by, from their wife or the police or someone like 
oh, here we go. It's you right next to the body. Or, oh, here's your secret girlfriend. Or, oh, man. Ouch. That's probably technology. Part of, probably part of Polaroid's business model, I guess. <laughs> you have something you don't want to admit, but are happy to leave laying around your apartment? It's it's funny because it, it's such amazing technology that like you can develop the film and like you know every color is like a, its own like layer of chemicals separated you know and the light different light wavelengths filter through it's like it's awesome technology that they came up with um, but it still kind of makes shitty photos <laughs> <laughs> they always look kind of weird and washed out and I guess kind of uh, you know old school Instagrammy <laughs> yeah. everything. And it was just a visual filter. Uh, but anyway, it's like, kind of, oh, crap. What is someone like me doing with this thing? Uh, and so he's messed, messing up his love life a little bit, um, or at least you know, his two-timing is starting to come out to him. Um, I think we just we, feeling down about himself. Yeah, he's got a nice panel of him just sitting in his, on his couch. Like, uh, that's, uh, I think we got a couple of those in this issue, so... Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, they'll, they'll continue this theme of you know, right. him, him not getting it together. He's got two great, attractive girlfriends, but no money and superpowers that are giving him problems and kind of a weirdo best friend and not a lot of people to confide in. Uh, so speaking of weirdo best friend, uh, half an hour later at Myron Feldman's West Mifflin home. Uh, so Kenny walks in, looks like a giant building, but there's like tires everywhere and wood scraps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like the size of a barn. I, I yeah. It's, it looks like a huge complex. Okay. He's, he's chilling there, juggling, uh, uh, recliner chair, uh, just waiting for Myron to show up. Um, he shows up with a box of hubcaps. I found these perfectly good hubcaps on the berm near the enormous pothole. You're only a little dented. That's a that's a good joke for us uh, Pittsburgh insiders. Oh, yeah. Potholes everywhere. <laughs> You're constantly um, beating your car up just driving around town. But... So much for the local municipal people. So yeah, so Myron's late. He says, "We had an appointment. Remember, two hours ago." I was like, "Oh, don't be compulsive." <laughs> Myron likes to use his uh, psychology knowledge to kind of uh, get away with things, I think. <laughs> yeah, and I, I like that Ken was an hour late himself, but then, so it's midnight now, and he only got there at like 11. Yeah. And, but now Myron's even later, and he's, I don't know which of them is to be more disappointed in. So Myron at like 11 at night is wandering around picking up hubcaps, I guess. <laughs> Uh, so again, so it's trying to kind of suss out what's going on uh, with his memory and these powers. Um, he says, I, I figured it out while I was waiting. See, the first alien, the old man, and the second alien were the same guy. The whole second alien thing was a fake a test to see if I could handle the power. Makes sense, huh? It's like, oh, I can't believe any of it. It's like, what? It's like, we're reasonably certain that someone somehow hypnotized you. Therefore, we can't trust what you think you remember. Uh, 
And then he says, wait, you saw the second alien. Barb saw one of his guns. He says, no, I saw an explosion, blew out my patio, patio doors and some flashes. And Barb only saw the toy gun, right? No one except you has seen concrete evidence. Um, so again, you know, still not really sure what's going on here. Uh, I like that, like the first explanation is the sort of thing that us as comic book readers were maybe like prepared for. Yeah. And um, see, this makes sense, right? No, no, it still doesn't make sense. Aliens, space saucers, ray guns. Mm, but yeah. Doesn't this sound like a, the kind a, of stuff that would show up in a new universe comic. <laughs> it's, um, I mean, yeah, at this point, we're really getting into the question, like the question at the heart of the star brand, which is, you know, how, how, where did it come from? Yeah. And yeah. I mean, if Ken's whole memory is, is fake or fakeable. Yeah. Where or who or how could this have come from anywhere? I don't know. Right. And then in order to discuss the, what do I do with my power as well? well that's going to have to be next session. And that'll cost you another 50 bucks. <laughs> as Ken's walking out, he, uh, Myron informs him that, the appointment meant that this is a session and that he's getting paid for it. Because I don't have, he doesn't have $50, <laughs> which is pretty close to true. It seems to be true, yes. Yeah, or maybe that would be all of his dollars uh, after the haircut. Uh, so again, you know, getting even later, uh, Myron makes him chop wood uh, with his bare hands, chop wood, and there's some gigantic pile of wood <laughs> in the back, of course. Uh, so much for you, Feldman, Myron, presumably. Some friend gets back home at 1.45, still kind of zoning out on the couch. He looks awake here at 4.37 a.m. Yeah, again with this, like, I'm on the couch thinking I've screwed up my life. Yeah, I guess that's where you go, though, right? It's comfortable. Yeah, but it's, I don't know, it's relatable somehow. <laughs> yeah. We've all been there. Oh, what oh. to do? What to do? Maybe call the government. So yeah, nine in the morning, <laughs> uh, he's trying to figure out who to talk to, right? So he's thinking maybe he can report a UFO, uh, basically gets to nowhere over the phone. Um, you know, they mentioned uh, Project Blue Book, uh, but that was phased out years ago. We don't investigate UFOs anymore. So yeah, I think that, that was the real you know, Air Force investigation into UFOs in the 50s or 60s. There's maybe a couple of movies or TV shows sort of based around that idea of like, I, I think one of them, yeah, was like by the guy who created Dragnet, where instead yeah. of like two cops going around asking people about crimes, it was two Air Force guys going around asking people about alien abduction uh, memories or something. Sounds like a good use of time. It's uh, they gave up on it at some point. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, memories not so reliable. Video evidence, maybe that's more like what should we what we should be looking for. But I guess that's kind of I mean that's the issue here, right? You know, Ken's memory is unreliable, uh, and we've been perhaps getting an unreliable narrator in this story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite literary device is it <laughs> yeah cool i uh 
Gene Wolf, I told you about the other day, um, yeah. uses that a lot, apparently. He, he'll leave things out as he's sort of telling you the story, and then later he like, comes back around to it, and, oh, I guess I should have questioned myself when you told me this thing, because I didn't know. Nice. Okay, so frustrated by the phone, heck with pet, petty bureaucrats. Maybe I can never, maybe I can never get Reagan on the phone. But if I bench press the Oval Office with him in it, then he'll talk to me, right? So he's up <laughs> all night, maybe not thinking that clearly. Flies to the White House gate, thinking about, you know, what am I going to do? Well, what if what if the guards catch me? I mean, they can't hurt me, but I, they might get hurt. Uh, bends the bars, you know, the president might not even be here. They're going to send him to some bunker. Like, what do I do? <laughs> so he thinks better of it, bends the bars back, doesn't break into the White House. Um, uh, let me point out where he says, uh, geez, I didn't even vote for this guy. <laughs> Reagan was one of the most popular <laughs> um, politicians of that time. The, the overwhelmingly reelected in 84. I don't know. Not by Ken Kong. He might not, not by Ken. I can, to be, to be honest, also not voted. That's my thought. Yeah. Ken is more of a, I, I don't vote than a, like, I have strong political opinions. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so I love this part. So he goes to a bar uh, and he's brainstorming with the bartender. Right, so, so I'm writing a book about science fiction. It's about this guy who gets a fantastic power from an alien from space. So after a while, he decides to turn himself into the president because he can lift mountains. Uh, thinks it's too much for an ordinary guy, but I can't figure out what he should do. What would happen? Uh, and clearly the bartender has thought about this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's easy. At first, they'd panic. Then, if he seemed peaceful, they'd get real friendly and talk him into being tested at some secret lab. They wouldn't believe he was for real. Uh, he'd have to prove it was a trick, or he'd have to prove it wasn't a trick or a gimmick again and again. And finally, when they were convinced he was as powerful as you said, they'd kill him in his sleep. What? It's <laughs> like my dramatic pause there. <laughs> too dangerous look i've tended bar in this town for 22 years i know these guys they don't like people with power they can't control they killed Elende. remember They're, they'd be afraid your guy would try to take over or he'd get miffed over something and use washington monument to harpoon an aircraft carrier you know i think these are sort of elements that show up in um like superman reboots of the last 10 or 20 years um, yeah kind of like superman versus the government and yeah captain america too sometimes oh okay yeah, yeah. can't just boss me around and make me do immoral stuff just because you're america uh but yeah salvador Allende, president of chile uh chile chile is probably the most American pronunciation of that. Um, so this Allende. Allende. Uh, CIA helped overthrow his government after he was elected in September 11th, 1973, apparently. And um, September 11th? Yeah. Hmm. A quaint, what a quinky dink. Yes. Huh. Probably not a weird conspiracy. Um, yeah. And then 
supposedly he killed himself, but most people think he was assassinated. <laughs> so like that's that's where that comes from. It forced me to look it up. I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I a of, um, lot of meddling in South America in the seventies. Yeah, thank God we've uh, stopped doing that. <laughs> yeah. All countries are now completely autonomous, and we don't interfere with any elections or anything. Yeah, one of my uh, South American coworkers was giving me a uh, history lesson on um, Argentina, I think, and you know, let's just say we 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 have some uh, publicity problems down there. There, we're not uh, sort of remembered fondly for some of these activities, but yeah. Well, and as we saw in previous star brand issues, even, uh, you know, when Ken rescued some Taliban from the Russian fighter jets and such, right? <laughs> Global problems. Yeah. Not easy solutions. Think, think globally, act locally. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but uh, think globally, bomb locally. <laughs> yeah. Even little... throughout the cold war, there's a lot of this sort of, um, activity and um it, it does sort of lead credence to the bartender's idea that these people are not to be trifled with and you yeah. can't just sort of have a cartoon answer to this problem so and the government pretty much tried to gun down cyforce too so <laughs> well wait they did gun down <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, if he went over to talk to the CIA, he'd meet, just meet the director who would also be a problem, I don't know. Problems, problems. Ken's got problems too. Uh, you know, who do I talk to? Um, he's kind of frustrated with Myron. Duck is you know, probably not much help, not the brightest woman in the world, is his words. Uh, maybe I'll go see Ouch. Barb. So maybe it's time to... Uh, finally tell Barb what's up. Of course, he goes there and the babysitter's at the door uh, who <laughs> wants to invite him in and watch TV together. <laughs> Whoa, what's this? <laughs> it's like, uh, better not. Maybe some other time, okay? So he's, he's, he hasn't closed the door completely. Promise? What? Great, see ya. Why did I say that? She's 17, <laughs> babysitter for Pete's sake. Boy, if Barb was upset over Debbie the Duck, wow. But that body, whew, <laughs> you hang around, wait for Barb. I really need to talk to her. But that body. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, more waiting around, four hours. Four hours. Right. Uh, car pulls up, uh, man in a suit, uh, who by appearances looks to have uh, taken Barb out on a date. Uh, he's trying to get in, but she uh, rebuffs him a little bit. Not today. Um, so, of course, Ken's like, well, what do I expect, right? So I'm, I'm not to be tied down. Uh, you know, what right do I have to expect her not to go see somebody else? Um, so, yeah, it's just drifting along. Uh, and this time he does, in fact, run into a crime. So he's flying away uh, pretty late, 67 67 minutes later uh so a nice very specific timeline there uh all night supermarket everybody's fleeing 
uh, stops a woman heading out. She says, I don't know, I'm just scared, let me go. Um, a strange woman, kind of one, the last one out is a woman who just black hair, you know, normal dress, carrying a bag of groceries, and she's the only one not panicking. Uh, Ken notices that when he's near her, um, he automatically sort of gets this instinct to flee to, and he's terrorized to run, but he can kind of rationalize this. No, that's crazy. There's no reason, nothing to run away from, just a tired looking woman. You know, what is this? This is very bizarre. This is uh, page 19 uh, in, the, in the comic. Yeah, I'll get to the fight. The fight. <laughs> and we're not quite there yet. All right. Uh, so, so he flies to follow the woman in her car. Um, we've got two more characters, right? So we had three on our front cover. Um, one who's lovingly-ish, referred to as Scrunch. Also, maybe Mr. Lovejoy. Uh, he seems to be strong. He's kind of breaking wood with his bare hands. Uh, uh, Mrs. Kaminsky, maybe the woman from the grocery store, and then only the other guys only maybe referred to as Dean. Deanie, yeah, yeah. She said Deanie, which I assumed is like cutesy for Dean, D-E-A-N. Yeah, that's a good. I mean, I don't think anyone's first name is actually Deanie. No, again, no code names. No, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. I so couldn't quite figure out the, the crunch, scrunch, lovejoy thing either. He's kind of, yeah, I think his name's Lovejoy, and then they're just kind of, you know, the Dean's calling him scrunch and just kind of, you know, not treating him well. The woman's maybe trying to show him a little more respect, but anyway, they kind of goof around with nicknames, but he seems kind of more animalistic. Yeah, I was gonna say you he's, you can't quite tell if he's like just gone completely feral or it's this uh, boy who's forcing him, yeah, mentally to to act this way. Yeah, so she's got powers to inflict fear, and he apparently has power to inflict rage, uh, and is using that on uh, poor Scrunch uh, to some effect. There, uh, Ken sneaks up on them and. Uh, recognizes them as escapees from the state mental hospital. I'm not exactly sure how he places that, but it's not too far away, apparently, that where the mental hospital was from this uh, general location, Scott Township. Woodville. Woodville. I think it's closed now, but. Okay. So it was real? There was a real place, uh, state hospital in the area that called that. Yeah, so, so he walks up, um, just kind of out of the woods. Hi, my name's Ken. Why does he tell him their name? Um, you know, you ought to come with me. Like he acting like he was wanting to take them back to the mental hospital, right? So he's trying to use his powers for good here, I guess. Um, but our three uh, in the woods are kind of arguing, what do we do? You know, uh, she's almost ready to send them back, but Dean does not want to. Uh, so he activates scrunch with his rage powers um and he, the guy charges ken um so ken, ken is him. mostly puzzled by all of this yeah, he's like what the heck is going on and he hasn't experienced anyone with paranormal abilities at all yet right so he's not really sure what he's dealing with he's just figuring it out now it's not like hey um in fact i think he, he asks so 
stops Grunch with one hand, kind of picks him up, holds him over his head, tosses him down, but he's like, did someone give you this power with an old man or something? I'm like, no, it just came a while ago. Um, so they are clearly activated by the white event, but you know, the general population can include hasn't made those connections yet. Uh, so she's trying to work him over with the fear powers and he's holding her back. Um, but um, the kid Dean gets scrunch mad again, picks up a big log and kind of smashes Ken over the back, actually kind of stunning him with a couple of hits and uh, making him panic. Um, so he's trying to fly away, but loses control of his powers, um, trying to get a second to kind of get things back together. Because again, if he's not focused, he doesn't have the star brand power. And while he's good at um, getting it or having it running at all times nowadays, like uh, with the axe in the beginning and you know, the hair cutter couldn't cut his hair earlier. I don't think I mentioned that panel, but um, yeah, now he's getting pounded without his powers by a log, by scrunch, knocked out. Thankfully, they don't do too much. Um, but you know, he kind of wakes up groggy, frustrated. Uh, he's like, why did I let it slip? Why did I let myself lose the power? Like that, let that little raving maniac startled me and then I lost it. Um, you know, so he lost his powers and then maybe their mind powers worked on him and he's pissed off and smashes a boulder or a brick or some trees. Uh, you know, he's fed up. It's been a long couple of days with not a lot of sleep and uh, things aren't going so well. I could kill, could kill. <laughs> Very ominous tone there. Yeah, and, and skipping ahead a little bit, the next Kenneth Connell crosses the line of death. So maybe he will. <laughs> to kill. To kill. <laughs> Hopefully not. Um, but yeah, so you know, he makes his way home sore, you know, decides he's been slacking and, you know, needs to work out, work out and do some things with the power off. Um, and he's apparently also writing a journal. Um, yeah, that's it for our episode for this issue. Next is Kenneth Connell crosses the line of death. Line of death. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just a Thing I've seen a lot of before, but the um, a lot of uh, writers and like to think that you know if you turn to writing, that'll really help your uh, self-expression, and all of your problems will resolve themselves or something. It's very, a lot of times they'll be like write stories about teenagers and how they're sort of don't have a direction. Then they start writing a journal, and suddenly, wow, everything's great. It's like I know they say write what you know, but not everyone is going to grow up to be a writer. So that's not the answer to everyone's problems. But I found I just that I've been spending a lot of time aimless on my couch, kind of staring into space. But uh, then I started a podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> Turned my whole life around. Now I'm famous and <laughs> millions of adoring followers. Ah. <sighs> Yes, yes, we do. Um, we have five followers, so awesome. Thanks, people. Yeah, you can read uh, uh, his uh, journal there. It's um, and um, you know he, he he's sort of getting his his head into the right place, which is uh, 
promising. And obviously the working out is also a good sign of health and activity. Um, this is a real strong issue, I thought. Um, I agree, yeah. John Romita Jr. back and this sort of emotional um, all over the place. And even, um, yeah, questioning your own origin kind of gives it a very, you know, yeah, what is going on? Like, it's something maybe I noticed in Merck a couple of issues ago was when, like, he'll explain things at the end that you didn't even realize were, like, a problem. Like, he'll kind of, you know, solve a mystery you didn't really realize was a mystery. Right, yeah. Like, in Merck, that was him kind of decoding, like, the setup of, uh, you know, like, the political setup that you had got. Exactly, yeah. Why did they give me this job, and what am I doing here? Oh, this was part of a setup. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. I'm a scapegoat. Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, well, that, that does explain things. Yeah. And so, yeah, here are this kind of basic science fiction story that we'd been given in the first place is now coming into question. And that's, all, that's a lot of fun, too. I mean, I know, you know. So, yeah, Miracle Man, I guess, was the, the one that comes to mind uh, at that time where... Um, do you remember? Did you read the original? I did not. I'm unfamiliar with Miracle Man. Okay, um, so it's Mr. Miracle. This is a um, Miracle Man is uh, basically uh, Captain Marvel, okay. and so it was like a guy. So Miracle Man, as uh, written by Alan Moore, um, was uh, had an origin. He, well, let's just say he he's a guy who sort of suddenly realizes he used to be this comic book kind of character named Miracle Man. But then, uh, and he had, you know, how he got these powers and whatever, and he just sort of forgotten that he had them. But then um, people start telling him no, there, no one in the news uh, like that. And that never happened. And it doesn't really make much sense, does it? And he starts unraveling all these problems in his origin that were sort of fed to him. Ah. So, yeah, it's, you can imagine a Alan Moore or a Grant Morrison really spinning an interesting, um, you know, conflicting stories, conflicting realities, uh, kind of thing out of this. Um, Makes me think Blade Runner too, with the androids that have the imprinted memories and such. Also good, yeah, yeah. So, so it's a um, you know, even though it feels like we're we're kind of treading water sometimes, going over the same thing. Um, as we sort of try to pull out uh, a new angle on it and perhaps see if there's a level of truth that we didn't see the first time. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Intriguing. Yep. And we get our first showdown with uh, paranormals. Uh, and again, you know, I would have thought, you know, mop the floor with them really. I mean, the star brand is super powerful as Ken stated in this issue, right? A nuke exploded in my hands and I was only worried about the mud. Uh, <laughs> well, he didn't mention the mud, but I remember that from that issue. But, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Andy is a much more reliable narrator than Ken. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, like he doesn't want to like punch a hole in these guys' chests, right? And uh, so he just wants yeah, he, to kind of. But he doesn't know how to do that yet. He doesn't know how to kind of round him up. It's not like the Flash is coming in and you know spinning him around and everybody's tied up in rope. You know, he's trying to talk to him. You know, ends up losing it a little, just enough, and you know, he gets yeah, overwhelmed just, and they escape. With all these sort of things going on simultaneously, yeah, he got. Uh... It just gave them an opening and yet it wore him down, which is, yeah, if he just let the power rise, as he says, he could have incinerated all three of them easily, but yeah, that's no good either. I mean, um, yeah, they're just mental patients who maybe they're, I don't know, sort of dangerous, but not maybe just sort of running away. I don't know. Yeah. Escaped mental patients with superpowers. Somebody call yeah. the clinic. So yeah, we we start if if paranormals start running into each other, then yeah, we'll get uh, more public awareness soon, I guess. Yeah, but not yet. But not yet. All right. So yeah, strong issue. Shall we give it our letter grades? I would give this an A. I'm going with an A too. Yeah, I mean, story goes all over the place. Yeah, so, um, so even if the fight was a little, uh, you know, rushed at the end, um, and mostly psychic, which Ken's powers are not psychic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's always that kind of fun uh, uh, challenge of trying to uh, show either on the page or on the screen, like. A psychic battle. It's like a, I think I've seen somewhere in pop culture the joke where, like, you know, they're just kind of standing there staring at each other. It's like, oh, well, really, they're having an epic battle of the ages, <laughs> but only in their minds. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, actually, I, I guess I did have a note of like, so if Ken's, you know, if this is a story and something's going on that we don't know, are any of the people around Ken acting suspicious? You know what I mean? Yeah. Is someone else involved with this? And we only have like a few regulars, which are to say Barb, Myron, and Duck. Yeah. Um, so if you can imagine like Total Recall, like the guy's wife was like an agent with implanted, oh, right. you know, kind of keeping an eye on him and stuff. So like Barb, the way she's kind of comes over and talks to him is sometimes suspicious. Hmm. Um, like, do you, have you started to figure it out yet, Ken? Have you, you know, kind of, um, Myron is obviously like a, I don't know, control, possible controller. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a, who's just placed there to keep an eye on you. But yeah. You're my best friend, Myron. We all love you. Why? Uh, I don't know. Why do they know each other? Why do they get along? Right. And, but uh, Duck, of course, would be the most unlikely, like that would really pull the rug out from you under you if you were like, Duck like turns around. Oh, you finally figured that out, didn't you, Connell? You must be very proud of yourself. I think that would be too much, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, that would be impossible to predict, but, but yeah, I think that would be like, yeah. It, no one, no one would have caught that, so it would be a big uh, surprise. But I don't think it would be a good one. I'd be like, "Oh wait, no, I don't like that." Oh uh, yeah, I'm not feeling that. So, 
Yeah. It's a, uh, it's something to, uh, I don't know, consider for the future. Indeed. So let's see. Should we take this... a short break and then uh, Spitfire? That sounds like a great idea. All right. Great idea. It is. Welcome back. So this is Stephen again, and this week I'll be covering Spitfire and the Troubleshooters number four. Aided by five prankster students, Professor Jenny Swinson steals her father's Max armor, a construction suit built for use in a variety of capacities, when she suspects the murderer intends to use it as a weapon of war. Oh no. Wait, is that M-A-X Max or M-A-C-S Max? It is definitely M-A-X. I don't know where this M-A-C-S comes up. Uh, so, but cover of this uh, issue is um, uh, got a um, the Max armor. Um, it's all closed up, kind of giving a karate chop to a guy who looks just like Rambo. Um, yeah. It's credit, credited to Geiger something which I've seen on a couple of other uh, covers and I don't recognize the name still or the style. So I'm not quite sure if they like, you know, had some house artist doing this, but. Um, Clearly they got HR Geiger to draw it. <laughs> uh, it would be great. Um, I got to say both of these uh, issues today, you can't see the face of the pr protagonist. Um, which I, feels like it's a violation of some sort of Marvel, you know, how to do a good cover. Mm. The uh, Marvel, uh, like how to draw comics the Marvel way has a whole chapter on how to do a good, strong cover and having your hero sort of presented front and center to see them is part of it. So you're throwing H.R. Geiger under the bus here? I, I well, you know, <laughs> what? what? What was that biomechanics or whatever his specialty was? Um, that would be a real great uh, version of the Max, but we'll move on with today's story. Hard for the penciler to keep up with, but yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> if you've got a couple of years lead time to, uh, to do it. But, um, so it starts off with a page uh, that multi-panel of um, Richard Phelan, the sort of second in command over at to Fritz Kratzi Enterprises or Industries. Yep, um, he was the one driving the death tank. And he's a scientist who was uh, very shady and Kratzi was maybe blackmailing him, but he was definitely not uh, too troubled to uh, go along with Kratzi's uh, shenanigans. Um, we find out finally what Phelan's... Uh, what the he was black being blackmailed over which was apparently a 16 year old girl Ooh. Hmm, okay this <laughs> since ken is ogling the 17 year old babysitter i'm not sure of this um 
you know. Hey, he's held himself back. Yeah, what's going on back here? But so uh, he, Balin's recapping a bit as he talks about um, uh, what he did to help Kratzi, but he's like sneaking out of a CD hotel, going down a back alley. He's running away from something. And uh, he's gets to his car and he's, you know, oh, I finally made it. I can get out of here. And um, someone says, wrong, Phelan, you lose. And Phelan realizes too late that he didn't check the ignition for bombs and his car explodes. I check that every day, man. Come on, Phelan. It's, I mean, if you're on the run, someone's trying to kill you, and your, your car exploding will be the most likely way to go. Explode me once, shame on me. Explode <laughs> me twice, shame on me. No, no, I messed that one up. Damn it, Bush. So next onto the page two, we have a good uh, splash page with the Max Armor flying in a sky blue um, flock of uh, pigeons around over a city. Um, the uh, story for today is called Revelation, and its uh, credits are Jerry Conway script and Todd McFarlane penciler. And I feel Bob like I've McFarlane. heard of him before. Didn't he draw Coyote issue 11 through 14 for Marvel? Is that what he's known <laughs> for? It is a little obscure, but uh, he, he, I mostly think of him as the Infinity Inc. artist over at uh. DC. Um, that he had actually done that for a year or two, I think, before uh, this. So this was part of his transition away from DC over to Marvel. And um, you can definitely see McFarlane style here. Um, it's it's the inker is is not uh, McFarlane himself or, or one of the other guys who does that sort of very scratchy style. But um, there's a lot of expressions and action and things that are very classic McFarlane. So you see it sort of um, early enough to recognize it, but um, far enough along that it's starting to, to you know, smooth itself out, I guess. I think of in, I've had a, a few issues of Infinity Inc. And it was fairly generic looking, I thought. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, this is a great, um, you know, we talked before about how if uh, the new universe couldn't hire top artists, then they could sort of pair um, established pros with um, up and comers with, you know, writing or art duties. And uh, this is probably the closest we'll get to that platonic ideal of the new universe as a sort of playground for, for new people with to try out new styles and things. Yeah, Jerry Conway and Todd McFarlane. Sounds good. Sounds good, and we're off. Um, so in the Max Armor, we, we see, have some narration boxes and it is some uh, thought balloons. And it is Jenny Swenson, of course, driving the Max, and she's flying into Washington, DC. So the Max Armor has that kind of a range from Boston to DC. Interesting. Impressive. And she uh, is landing outside some government building and thinking that she's going to be testifying at a congressional committee. And 
there's a little kind of out of character, I would say, part where she's thinking, you know, I get nervous just addressing an engineering seminar. Imagine how I feel testifying to a congressional committee. It doesn't sound um, like our confident star, star uh, MIT professor named Spitfire, who's all action and like she gets nervous giving a seminar. Yeah, I know. No, I'm sorry. That's a little, um, no. She's young, but she's very experienced at this point and very professional in some ways, I think. Yeah. Um, at least academically. So she, uh, she's talking about how she's spent the last month preparing for this. So since the last issue, she's been setting up this meeting or something. And um, she's starting to land and there's some... Uh, congressional people and some cameras. And she uh, is greeted by a couple of um, Capitol Hill cops, I guess, um, who are um, holding guns on her, which, you know, Max Armour is pretty, looks pretty bulletproof. So not sure what they expect to do there. But she says she's a, supposed to appear before the Senate Foreign Trade Committee. Um, and uh, she's, she's not going, she's not like fighting them, but um, someone comes out of the building and uh, explains things to the two officers. Um, and he says it's his responsibility. And that person is... Uh, Al Franken, I think, right? <laughs> That's a good description. Uh, Senator Dan Hurt. Senator, Senator Dan Hurt. Dan Hurt. And he's a, they, they say, uh, as they're, he's leading Max Armour away. Wow, Dan Hurt knows how to stage manage the news almost as well as Reagan. Wonder what he's up to. Hmm. Knowing Hurt, whatever it is, it's got to be good politics. That guy was born stumping for votes. <laughs> so don't, don't check your back issues because I'm pretty sure we didn't see Senator Dan Hurt in the previous issues of Spitfire and the troubleshooters. No, I, I looked it up and the senators for Massachusetts at the time would be John Kerry and Ted Kennedy. Wow. Okay. The, uh, this guy doesn't quite look like either of them, though if any of them, he's probably Ted Kennedy, right? It's, um, oh. yeah. I don't think Kerry had that sort of... Uh, outgoing uh, thing we see, we're seeing from Hurt here, so. What do you mean I'm not outgoing? <laughs> Is it Carrie versus Gore? That would have been a great runoff. <laughs> uh, animatronics. Um, let's see. So they, they say this hasn't, there hasn't been a really good Senate uh, hearing on television since Watergate, but. Um, Back at the dorms at the Toot, we see the troubleshooters watching all of this on TV. And all five of the troubleshooters are in a couple of their dorm rooms. And they're kind of arguing about what Jenny's doing, if she's going to um, expose their involvement in some of these, well, let's just call them crimes. Yeah. And things that they've been doing. And... Um, they talk a little, the TV's talking a little about what's going to happen is the, um, they're going to, um, the Senate committee is investigating Fritz Kratzi and whatever's, uh, his connections are to foreign trade or, uh, 
foreign terrorists or something. General shady business. General shady business. Um, Teresa is still hung up on Eduardo. Eduardo is really mad at Jen. Good. Um, and uh, let's see, the others, they're just sort of, we don't know what's going on yet. Then we switch to the Boston Metropolitan Police Headquarters, where Detective Sloan and his partner Jenkins sort of, now I'm thinking, are they an early model for Sam and Twitch or those cops in Spawn? Oh, good question. Um, and they, they've just gotten something on the teletype report from Albany that uh, Kratzi's man Phelan turned up. Yeah, where, with some broad? Oh, ladies man Phelan, they call him. No. <laughs> nope, <laughs> he's with his god. Mm. So, yeah, the report Great says- Parts uh, of them are. <laughs> no suspects. So Sloan, you'll remember, is kind of a straight guy, probably. Um, thinks that um, Kratzi certainly seems to have a, a lot of bad luck and uh, first uh, people die around him, then the lab uh, disappears. And uh, It's been zero days since a deadly laser accident. So. We switch back to the TV where Major Benton was uh, also injured, nearly killed uh, a month ago. And then we switch to a cabin in the woods where the Rambo looking guy from uh, the cover is maybe making breakfast for himself and also watching this on TV. Right, so, amongst his Merc-like pile of guns and, sword and knives. Yeah, it's quite a collection there. Um, and 2% milk. The, uh, let's see. So the, the major doesn't uh, just um, clams up when they ask him about what happened last month at Kratzi International and uh, says it's all national security. And he's just, you know, yeah, what happened to your shoulder? Which was lasered by the Max Armor. Right. Oh, it's mending nicely, thanks. Uh, you know, just fell off a catwalk. <laughs> Why was he on a catwalk? Where, is, where was this catwalk? What cat are you talking about? So then um, Jenny in the Max Armor and Senator Hurd um, make a grand entrance. And Hurd looks really <laughs> sort of suspicious. He really does, yeah. He also, I, he looks a little more like Elizabeth Warren in that shot. I don't know why. But... <laughs> Not seeing um, that one, but maybe the glasses. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, everyone has... Not everyone, but the the expressions on people on faces are very Todd McFarlane, <laughs> and that sort of smile that that a lot of characters have is really um, interesting. Let's see. So Senator shows up, um, brings in Jenny in the Max armor. She's uh, talks to Major Benton. Uh, oh, it's the first chance I've had to apologize to you about our little run in. And he just says, huh, um, sure, uh, no harm done. Okay. I guess we'll see more of uh, Major Benton some other time because he now uh, takes a back seat and um, the senators are still 
in this committee think it's a robot, but of course she flips the um, helmet up and Jenny pops out of the max armor. I am most definitely not a robot. And oh, yeah. uh, this is, uh, I mean, McFarlane on an attractive redhead, just, you know, this will be MJ in uh, Spider-Man 300 in about a year. You know? Yeah, you're right. It's a very, uh, you know, this is the sort of attractive female look that, you know, they could have been using for her through the whole time. But um, if his next book would have been right after this one. That would be curious to know. Yeah, I don't know. I forgot to, to, to look, I guess, and, and double check where he ended up next. Um, so one <laughs> of the guys in the crowd, there was a woman inside that thing? <laughs> it's the 1980s, folks. So. Yeah, you can tell by the five-inch floppy disk she's got the evidence on. <laughs> Is, yeah, I'm Jenny Swenson, a professor of applied engineering at MIT, daughter of the late Carl Swenson, the man who invented this device, a revolution in manually controlled robotics. So they swear her in. And um, back at the toot, the uh, Edward Eddy says, I don't know what she's got up her sleeve, but we're, we're behind her all the way, right, troubleshooters? As long as your arm stays right where it is, Giotti, says Terry. <laughs> she's, uh, she's warm for Giotti. And uh, Sloan and Jenkins are also surprised by that. What? So Sloan's saying to Jenkins that I'm betting she and her tin suit wasted that Phelan clown. And if there's a connection between Jenny and Phelan, Swenson and Phelan's death, I'm the boy who's going to find out what it is. And yeah, they also we, have a really sweet uh, portable TV with like a handle on the top. Mm, yeah. They, I mean, I remember having like a small TV with like screen, like just a three or four inches uh, available in like a boom box. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, Takes a lot of yeah. D batteries, man. <laughs> you can... Uh, Let's see. On we get to um, to the cabin with the terrorist um, who's also listening to him, uh, to her talking about uh, her dealing with Fritz Kratzi and how he had uh, stolen credit for the Max Armor from her father, probably killed him, even though she doesn't have any proof. But she does have a disk, a computer disk. Um, that has connections that shows the connections between Kratzi and a international terrorist group uh, known as the club. Uh oh. She doesn't know precisely who or what the club is, but with this data disk, um, it'll prove they exist and that Kratzi has been dealing with them. Everyone is shocked. Are you <laughs> claiming one of a Defense Department's biggest contractors is a terrorist supporter? Way that can never happen. <laughs> That's crazy talk. Um, they say that her father's death was ruled a laboratory accident. That was the most slipshod investigation I think I've seen in the entire new universe. <laughs> like, 
they just showed up and were like, there's uh there's not really nothing to look into. Sorry, man. Uh, father's dead. Wasn't he like crushed with a desk? <laughs> I thought he was maybe electrocuted. I don't yeah. know. I went back over it because like to see whether that one guy who was killed later for doing it. Anyway, it was blackmailing Kratzi. So um she says, if I had, you know, if I'd, I'm tempted to take care of Kratzi myself with my bare hands and uh, I'll be here as long as it takes until Fritz Kratzi gets everything that's coming to him. Ooh, that sounds like a threat. It does. And luckily the Rambo guy um, is like, oh, don't worry, he will. And... <laughs> He takes a metal baseball bat to into another room where we see that Kratzi has been held prisoner in this room for like a month. You've held me prisoners for, for weeks while you went after Phelan in the suit and you've tortured me. Please steal, Hawk. Don't hit me again. You know, I was thinking he hadn't been named in this entire uh, issue, but there it is. That's yeah. Arun Bakhti, Steel Hawk. Um, so back Steelhawk uh, is like well you know you've, your dealings with the club have been exposed so you're a liability so how to dispose of you in a way that puts blame on someone else and luckily Professor mm-hmm. Swenson just gave me that idea so uh, yeah the next page he's um, he beats Kratzi to death with this yeah, that's pretty brutal. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is the bad guys. <laughs> it's uh, actually they're both the bad guys. So. Yeah. This is the, the third or fourth instance of um, the villains basically killing each other in Spitfire. Um, yeah, it just keeps going like one level up, right? <laughs> yeah. So you feel like you know, is, is there a reason for Spitfire to be here? Should we just come back next issue and, you know, another guy at the club is killing Steelhawk now and I guess everything's kind of taken care of? I don't know. Steelhawk seems a little harder to kill. <laughs> Probably. So we see um, the Jeep that he, he had had um, on a bridge outside of Boston. And he is saying to no one in particular that it'll take 48 hours for the gases in your body to bring it to the surface. And then everything's gonna hit the fan. How how does Jerry Conway know this information? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So two nights later, which is to say 48 hours, um, on the campus of MIT, there is a party going on and everyone is dressed up. And uh, Chairman Dibble, who I don't think we've seen since the first issue. Um, oh, yeah. Is saying that, uh, oh, how could you keep all these great advancements uh, a secret from all your friends in academia? And uh, Jenny's there. She is all dressed up in a fancy dress. Um, and she's like, well, you know, I just. You know, Still, everything was very messy, but you know, hopefully things will be tied up now. 
Anyway, Senator Hurt, are you enjoying yourself? Immensely, Dr. Professor Swenson. I don't know what he says that apropos that. Um, yeah, I know it's MIT wants their 20% or whatever. <laughs> so let's see, the troubleshooters are also there. They are dressed up and they're um, getting themselves some snacks. Apparently this is the chairman's house or guest house or something. And he had thrown the party, this party for Jenny. Um, the kids are talking about how our part and all this is still a secret, but what's, you know, is it, that mean it's over? We don't know. So Senator Hurt then convinces Jenny to go out and give a demonstration with the Max Armor, which is out in the garden. So she leads everyone in the party out into the garden. Then we see something beeping in the bushes and uh, segue over to Steelhawk, who's like, oh, it's activated. I couldn't ask for a neater package if I wrapped it myself, and I did. Hmm. He has a uh, newspaper that says that there's a party honoring Jenny Swenson to be um, given tonight at the chairman's house. Basically, all the setup he needed. That's really the cover page of the Boston Globe is like, Chairman of College Throws Party. <laughs> it's pretty weak. It uh, was not going a lot going on at that, that week, I guess. Let me go Google up what was actually going on that week. This is on um, uh, Steelhawk thinks to himself that it sort of lays out his plan, which is that um, they'll find his body. Jenny will look guilty. But then there'll be a bomb that goes off, and since she, she can't uh, explain anything since she's dead, you know, all this, all everything will be tied up pretty well. And uh, somehow, also, that the Americans will realize we are not to be trifled with, even though you tried to deflect your blame everywhere else. I don't. They'll never know that we were involved, and yet they will know <laughs> well, that we are not to be trifled with. <laughs> yes. Someone is also an overachiever, and that someone is Mr. Steelhawk. I mean. um, so he sees the police arriving at this party, uh, Sloan Jenkins. Jenny is in the Max armor, um, lifting someone up while shooting the laser into a fountain. And uh, one of the troubleshooters, uh, Chin, Eric Chin, trips so. over something and uh, sees the bomb. He's like, hey, Jenny, I think it's a bomb. She grabs it and flies straight up. And then, I don't know if you'd call it defuses it. She just sort of rips it apart, which yeah. is... I would have gone with like it explodes in your hands, but I'm in the super suit and it won't hurt me. But that's just yeah. me. Well, she seems she's kind of like decoded, like that it's radio controlled and from you know the she recognizes the technology that it can't be that far away, so somebody must be nearby, you know. So she quickly yeah, actually, yeah, what you're this right. thing is and you know. <laughs> You have to be very close, then going straight up to try to get out of range does make sense here. That's true, yeah. Yeah, but then she comes down and sees nobody in sight but the Rambo type in the Jeep. And uh, she'll go sort of confront this 
person who she hasn't seen yet at all, just to try to see you know, if that leads to anything. And everyone at the party sort of runs over in the direction she's headed. And Steelhark is like, well, this is where the fun starts. And he pulls out this huge um, machine gun, I'd say. The first thing uh, that hits her in the max armor is more of an explosion though. And she's, she uh, calls it a rocket launcher. So it's not quite clear where that came from. Yeah, but the uh, um, right arm of the max armor is damaged and her real arm is visible. So if there's any more explosions going off, she could lose her real arm there pretty easily. Yeah. Um, so Steelhawk is running towards her with this uh, machine gun. No, an automatic machine gun. This guy's a walking arsenal. And he's firing at some knee joint that was damaged earlier. Then a grenade. And it explodes sort of behind her. And it looks like her arm is okay. But um, pieces of the max armor are going flying. And there's a couple of old men um, observing this. Take cover, George. Somebody started a war outside. Back to Steelhawk, wrong old man. Somebody's just about to finish one. Oof. <laughs> Notably up to this point, uh, the Max armor has been pretty indestructible other than maybe like a lucky shot to a booster jet or something. It's been pretty bulletproof and hasn't been damaged, uh, but now it's getting trashed. Yeah, it's, I don't know, uh, yeah, how to, how to, say it but this armor doesn't look like it's long for this world even at this point in the uh, confrontation the um, loss of many pieces of it um, very concerning so he goes up straight up to um, the armor and I guess pops the helmet up so you yeah. can see um, Jenny face to face and he's telling her, um, taking on Kratzi was one thing, taking on the club was something else again. And such a pity you must die. You are not an unattractive woman. Uh, it's a little star brand action there. Ken agrees. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that body. Nice redhead. But your interfering has cost us much. Carefully laid out plans must be pushed back because of your exposure of Kratzi's dealings. That cannot be tolerated. He's really like chewing up the balloon juice here. You call us terrorists, foul woman. We want a new order in the world. A new order you will not live to see. So she grabs his leg with the max armor and crushes it. Crunch. Oh, yeah. Broke his leg, but it's the last ounce of energy I could muster. So it looks like I'm a dead woman. He turns around and Click, 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 click. Yeah, he had accidentally fired in the air when she was crunching the, his leg with her uh, one remaining robot arm. Right, there's the last of his uh, ammo. So he pulls out a grenade and would probably run it, uh, give it to her, but the uh, Sloan and Jenkins are running up at this point um, with the guns and 
they realize that's a grenade headed towards them and they're behind the car fast. There's a funny panel of basically the car exploding with Sloan kind of looking like he's jumping out of the bush somehow. Looks like he did kind of like a super fast dodge move or something like zoink. Yeah. Notably also, uh, Steelhawk has a bandolier of bullets going across his chest, Rambo style. So clearly those are only for show. <laughs> he does not grab them. Just put them, put them into the gun and just put them firing. there because he's watched too many action movies. Not, not actually useful in the weapon. Yeah. And then with his, crun- his uh, crunched up leg, he hobbles off to his Jeep using that machine gun as a crutch. Yeah. And in my perhaps my favorite panel, he, he the Jeep roars out through the crowd of uh, police with him shouting, Long live the new order. <laughs> who who are we blaming for this? I guess the new order? I I don't know. Is that part of the club? I don't know that either. It's a uh, subcommittee of the club. It's the new order. <laughs> There's a um, crowd of people gathered around, and the troubleshooters help Jenny out of the max armor, which looks pretty trashed. And um, the police come up, and um, I say, well, I'm sorry to say this, but I'm afraid you're under arrest. What? Joking. Um, you were there. She just foiled an assassination attempt against me. Is the senator thinks that they were about trying to kill him? Always about him. And you see, they, they tell her that we just fished Chris Kratzi's body out of the river. And you know how many people do you know with a metal fist who said under oath they wanted to kill Fritz Kratzi? Dun dun dun. Oh. Next, Starfire, no, Spitfire versus the power of the Star Brand. Ooh. Spitfire is in rough shape, or the Max armor is in rough shape. Yes. Um, it might be time for some serious modifications to the Max armor, which is um, it's not a bad design, but, you know, I, I, they could try another design too. I don't know. Yeah. Generation three. Here we go. Hopefully they're learning things from this. Uh, and she can sort of build her own rather than just be like, here's my father's armor, which kind of I, I, I always think is a little lesser than the Iron Man. This is my armor. I built this. Well, the troubleshooters have been kind of retro uh, or I guess reverse engineering the uh, technology for their like super gear, the strong arms, and the uh, I forget what they called the the like lightning legs or whatever, and the fast pass, the fast mind ball. mind helmet and such. So fastball, fastball, yeah. So the uh, Todd McFarlane art was a nice surprise here. Um, the uh, story is pretty strong, although it feels like you've fast forwarded through an issue or something with the new setup with a senator who's suddenly very important. Yeah, um, he's mentioned before he ever appeared. The funny thing is the last issue, they, she mentioned a boyfriend in Baltimore. And I was like, oh, you're in DC? Maybe this guy will show up. I mean, I'll 
a lawyer at a Senate committee hearing. That would make sense, right? You never saw him. Yeah, actually, I, I, I brought that up on like the Facebook fan group page and someone mentioned that you won't see that boyfriend until like some late issue of DP7. <laughs> <laughs> So like we may never it may take a long long time for that guy to show up wow it's, or the guy was joking i'm not really sure i mean no that could happen uh or i can imagine it happening one reason being mark gruenwald is you know was a was a killer for um continuity so mm. he would be the kind of person who'd be like oh this name that was used three thirty issues ago let me just work him into this. Nice. Um, I was going to say there that Steelhawk was never named in this. Where there's Shooter was a big uh, believer in every comic is someone's first comic, you know. So yeah. we we we've been kind of gone back and forth on like how much to explain each issue before we uh, talk about it. Um, and uh, we're, we're still sort of working that out, but um, the, the having everyone named, I mean, it's still frustrating. I don't think Terry Teresa has a last name that's been given in this whole series. Yeah, pretty much other than Eduardo, I st still struggle with the troubleshooters because they don't really get much uh, time to kind of differentiate themselves. I mean, they've all done something at this point, but I mean, this issue is mostly you know, one of them finds a bomb and Terry's kind of, you know, continually unhappy with Jenny Swenson, uh, you know, clearly because she's annoyed how much Giotti likes the professor, but you know, it hasn't really come of anything yet. So. Yeah. So, I mean, in a movie, I would sort of accept that as like, oh, it's the Italian one, it's the athletic one, you know, I don't really care too much what their names are. So, but yeah, we don't get a lot of uh, screen time for all these guys. So it, it still feels like kind of a missed opportunity in some ways. Yeah, no zany pranks. No zany pranks. So uh, I was thinking so similarly to Starbrand, um, you have a group of secret powerful men and suddenly you have a senator who's all chummy and buddy buddy with you oh yeah you know what Maybe if he's uh, a snake yeah it was a, a, a setup from senator hurt hurt was a uh, associated with the club himself i don't know if, if so he's definitely uh has not been communicating with steelhawk that's <laughs> that's true he almost killed him but uh, the, the um, club and the new order would, and however those two work together, I don't know. I kind of got the feeling last issue that Steelhawk was like a, more like a hired by the club. I'm not 100% sure of that though. Yeah, he's running in Mark Hazard's circles maybe, but a little bit less scrupulous. Yeah, yeah. He's a independent terrorist or he has some <laughs> freelance terrorist for hire <laughs> the club seems more like specter you know there's just sort of a financial uh whatever shady deal organization rather than like a overthrow governments in the middle east kind of organization which seems to be 
what uh, Steelhawk would be working for. Yeah, the name makes me think of the like Eddie Murphy movie where the rich guys like <laughs> prank the, the the entitled son and switch places with the the bum Eddie Murphy. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, trading places. Trading places. That it is. Yeah, that's what I think of of the club. But <laughs> these guys are a little more violent, perhaps. Welcome to the club, Farnsworth. Yeah. There's a lot of terrorist agendas, though. Um, I mean, the in Kickers we had like the fist gang that was kind of being controlled by uh, the bad guys who kind of also ran off in the end, citing some sort of agenda. Yeah, it would be cool to see something cropping up in another town with that same uh, thing going on. Um, but for the time being, I don't know, it may just be a uh, common theme in pop uh, culture at the time so yeah it's like you're see. watching gi joe but there's like five different evil terrorist organizations <laughs> yeah yeah uh let's see um anything else we noticed this week uh, that's about it it's a, it's a solid issue it's keeping it going keeping me interested Solid. I will give it, I don't know, A minus. All right. Pretty happy with it. Um, you usually say a lot of negative things before you give high ratings. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I, I would, uh, you yeah. know, I don't want to overdo it, but uh, I, this may be as good as it gets for Spitfire and the Troubleshooters. So. Don't jinx it. We haven't read issue five yet. I'm, I'd go B plus. You know, above average. It's a good book. You know, enjoyed the action. Enjoyed the art. Um, not as interesting a story as some of the other books, uh, but I like it. Yeah. And we get a letters page. Yes, we get the first letters page for a new universe title. And it's just generically entitled Letters to Spitfire and the Troubleshooters. Okay. Yeah, it works. It is a tradition that, you know, the actual letter writers would suggest uh, letter page titles. So for the first couple of months, we'll get a lot of suggestions. And yeah. I'm not sure if they want to sort of stick with a more stripped down title for their own. Uh, separate the new universe as its own thing perhaps uh well we get the comment from the editor is uh this page belongs to you fans so write in and tell us what you want to call it the two oh. good suggestions we've gotten so far so somebody suggested spitfires specials and where's the other one uh troublemakers so those are our first two suggestions. Okay. I'm I'm not I'm not sold on the either of them personally. Yeah, we could do better than that. Come on, guys. <laughs> Come on, 1986 people. Um, let's see. So let's see. Did we want to read a couple of these or the yeah, responses I've to them? I've got some of my favorites. Okay. 
Um, so maybe we go chronologically, I guess. Um, the first one I like, uh, so somebody just spit singing praises. So I love all of your new universe comics I've read so far. I read Spitfire, Starbrand, and Cyforce. Uh, I like Spitfire the best. Like you said, it's better than any other series. I've not yet seen Justice, DP7, Kickers, Inc., or Merc, and I haven't had a chance to read Night Mask. So we see what Dan Black from Route 4, Box 214 of Marshalltown, IO. IO? Iowa? No, it's not Wait, that's not Iowa. Yeah, that's something else. IA is not Iowa. Yeah. Hmm. Iowa. That just threw me off. <laughs> okay. uh, but anyway, so uh, some of the things I especially liked were the Max's lab that folds into three semis, the troubleshooters playing practical jokes. I like that too, that we didn't get any more of those. Uh, <laughs> scientists coming up with a password for the message, etc. Keep it up the terrific, perfect, exceptional work. Uh, mostly I liked the editor response here. Um, this is all we can say, Dan, if the positive response to Spitfire and the Troubleshooters is any indication, the new universe is a smashing success in all respects. Readers seem to appreciate not only the high level of realism that Marvel is now bringing to comic books, right? So this is what they're aiming for. Um, uh, but the even higher quality of storytelling and everyone seems to be lining up around the block to gobble it up all right or it'll end in 12 issues right one out of two <laughs> so yeah the uh, uh to cut to the chase of uh the um writer bruce petch from calgary alberta canada um how long do you plan to keep this series going as long as you folks love reading spitfire and the troubleshooters we'll love producing this trust us bruce this one's here to stay <laughs> yes to totally here to stay <laughs> oh well um so yeah, then yeah a couple the the one after that the editor's comment is pretty interesting even more so than well you get a little criticisms the uh, letter writer says about jenny her character is almost overdeveloped she's a teacher a mentor a scientist and a martial arts student all that and she expects to have the time for superheroics uh-huh on the other hand the troubleshooters are rather underdeveloped i agree except for the dorm scene since they have cover billing I think they deserve just as much attention as Jenny. Um, micro spoiler, eventually they lose that cover billing. Um, and then about Spitfire, that thing looks more like an M1 tank than a suit of armor. How about making it just a bit smaller, give it more weapons? Seems a bit, well, ordinary. I think that's kind of the point though. Like it's not a, a battle mech. It's not Iron Man. Um, yeah, you're really like, they're walking a thin line between uh, a transformer and iron man himself and trying to give you something that's you know not so outlandish i guess yeah so yeah i like that in the issue when it landed everybody thought it was a robot that was talking to them and not a, a woman in a suit too so but you know those things that can seem a little off-putting right this is this big blocky red thing uh, is also kind of the point right like it's not you know, it's a leap in technology, but not like a crazy, you know, suit from the future kind of deal. It's just, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can imagine them 
like they've been doing, sort of pulling pieces of it out and using it for new purposes. And yeah, continuing to develop as a new technology. Um, yeah, the, uh, the editor's response uh, about the comment from the troubleshooters is uh, interesting. And I wonder if it's hinting or just trying to drum up interest. It says, don't worry about the troubleshooters. They'll be getting lots of coverage and upcoming issues. Some will be injured. Some will try and quit the team. And some may even be killed. We already had one injured. So he could have been referring to that issue. Uh, and you want to and you want to be there when this all happens, don't you, Mike? Oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> Did you keep reading, Mike? Uh, as for the Spitfire suit, after the beating it took this issue, who knows if it'll ever even be fully functional again. And even if it is, it'll certainly never be the same. I'm guessing so, it's going to be functional again. It's something will be functional. I mean, it it'd be kind of funny if they just dropped the robot suit angle entirely after issue four because it broke. <laughs> well, I, to I told you before, they tried to call the Max Armor Spitfire and Jenny's Spitfire. So it could just be a woman professor and her five hijinks loving college students. That would also be a good comic book, maybe. Max Armor is not in the title. Yeah, there have been no paranormals in Spitfire and the Troubleshooters at all yet. So I'll go quickly through the last um, letter because it, it has a, a classic Marvel thing in it. All, and the, the reader is name withheld by request, so I'm not sure how proud he was that he was so into the series, but this is the first issue, so it's only right that there's a no prize in it. Here's the mistake I found. In the comic, Spitfire is the first called M-A-X, but in the bullpen, bullpen bulletin, you called him M-A-C-S, stand for Man Amplified Construction Suit. I can understand a spelling mistake, but not in the definition of the main character. I deserve a no prize. Okay, first off, <laughs> no prize is like when you have a mistake in the book, not like a disagreement between, you know, the, the yeah, two books or the copy yeah. coming next week. Yeah. And so, also part of the isn't not am I wrong that part of the no prize isn't is also that you're supposed to then propose an explanation for why it's not a mistake. Or is it? Oh, am I getting that wrong? That's how I, yeah, yeah. So this right. guy flubbed that. You have to be like, obviously they didn't get uh, the trade. The trademark was already used for MACS, and so they. I don't know, but yeah, there, there's, uh, there's got to be some effort to, to, do more than just point out a mistake because nobody likes a, uh, you know, cattle tail. I'm not quite sure what you call it. So. Editor, um, and this is uh, Bob Harris, actually, who became what, editor in chief later, um, says, actually, folks, we weren't planning on awarding no prizes in the new universe. Um, but of course, we weren't planning on making mistakes uh, either. But this letter does give us a chance to correct a misconception about the real star of our book, MAX2. MACS was considered as an acronym for the suit, 
but we eventually decided on the other spelling. We just somehow failed to get that information to everybody here at Marvel. Our mistake. Sorry about the no prize though. So there will be no no prizes in the new universe. So no. all you letter hacks who are looking over <laughs> eagle eye at everything, trying to just just put that pen down. Do not even start with us. That's what I'm hearing. Hmm. The no no prize, that's a double negative. So that should be a prize. Maybe we Your should logic give out prizes. Has defeated me. <laughs> you like that oh yeah and yeah so that's the the letters I, they're a good sort of bunch of um positive comments generally from uh, a nice selection of people from all over the country and canada um, interesting the um the other interesting thing we had this month um we don't have a bulletin bullpen bulletin i guess was the enter the new universe super sleuth sweepstakes oh yeah this is announced uh in in all the titles this month and they are a series of questions about each of the eight new universe titles and the, yeah, like 16 questions two on each title i think that's right yeah two you of could these. You could win a grand prize 12 month subscription to all eight new universe titles. I just bought them all, man. <laughs> oh, and a red Marvel jacket. The, the red Marvel jacket would be a pretty grand. That Actually, would grand prize got original new universe artwork. Oh, yeah, that's that. I wonder who I won. Know. That would have been hot. I mean, that had a chance of being pretty good, yeah. Um, there's uh, prizes or go from like a 12 month subscription to all titles to eight month subscription to some titles, six. So at this point, you're three issues in at least to answer all these questions. So you're kind of invested already, but it's a nice thought, I guess. And the There's uh, some quest tough questions too. Some of them stumped to us and we've been studying this these things as hard uh, or harder than any reader back then did, I'm sure. Um, but so we will go over this at a uh, this month in a little more detail and perhaps have a um, chance for you to have a will or us to have a, a um, contest of our own. So Stay tuned. Uh, we'll announce something later this month about um, how you can put in your answers and try to win some sort of prize that is TBD at this moment. I'm feeling like we need to include original artwork now, though. <laughs> I'll send you a drawing and one of my jackets. <laughs> yeah, you could have one of uh, Andy or I's drawing of a new universe character if you would like that <laughs> hopefully you like a very simple character that's easy to draw <laughs> as neither of us is super good at it i'd want to draw mark hazard as a stick figure but then how am i going to show him that he's sleeveless right i mean that's going to be kind of tough spitfire is probably the easiest to draw i mean sorry max armor is probably the easiest to draw in theory in theory 
doesn't have a nose. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe one of the astral projections would be good. I don't know. Ooh. Yeah, so keep an eye out for that. We will be awarding somebody something. And That's as much as we can tell you now. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm excited about it. I'll mail things to people. I will, yeah. We have, uh, once we have a little bit more of our online presence uh, locked down, um, we'll start uh, working with um, this and that to uh, get the word out a little and hopefully get some uh, good reader, listener comments, feedback. Right on. All right. Oh, we better announce things from next episode. Let's see. You want me to do it or you want to? Oh, you go it. <laughs> All right. You got the intro. I'll take the outro. All right. Perfect. So that's it. Uh, next time we'll be covering Psy Force number four. Uh, and the, the blurb for this upcoming issue is really interesting. Voyager, Salvo. Touchstone and Megarod, Megarod, uh, Escape, <laughs> M-E-G-A-U-R-A-U-D. You tell me how to pronounce that. Uh, so let's start that over. Voyager, Salvo, Touchstone, and Megarod escape to a mountain retreat only to find that it's a death trap. Only Network can save them, and he's missing. Who are all these people? <laughs> It's it's great that the promotional material knows what the code names is are for the uh, most of the characters in the new universe, but no one else does. So they must have come up with them and then never used them yet, but didn't realize it. <laughs> uh, but I look forward to finding out if they use those if we learn those names now uh, in the next issue. But and then Nightmask number four, a little more straightforward. Can Keith, Nightmask, Remsen possibly survive a duel to the death with Mistress Midnight? I'm hoping they're following up the Mistress Midnight from issue two. and Which was supposed to be issue three. But so oh. it goes. Sometimes okay. you got to fill it in. <laughs> All right. Well, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, check out our other podcasts and keep an eye out for possibility to win free stuff and we'll see you back at spinner rack all right